we're going to be in 1 John 4. So let me pray, and then we'll jump into to the text. Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for an opportunity that you've given me to preach your word. God, I pray that you would help me speak with clarity. God, I pray that you would <clears throat> um, challenge us all this morning in places that we see that we're not loving people, places that we know that we can improve as as your people, um, that we would we would hear those words from your word and we wouldn't just kind of say, okay, I agree with that, I should change, and then leave and not necessarily do anything. But you've um, implanted into us the Holy Spirit and given us an ability to be able to truly love other people like no one else can. So God, I pray that we would leave here resolved to be the most loving people in the world. God, I love you and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, this past... Wednesday on campus over here at Winthrop, some people showed up and they were preaching uh, the gospel. And whenever they did, they did it in a way that was quite offensive and, and riled a lot of people and things like that. And so um, I got some calls and texts and I, I'll go over there and I just want to kind of hear what's going on. I'm wanting to know, you know, what are they saying? You know, um, so basically they're, they're kind of condemning all the sins and saying, and repent and turn to Jesus, but doing it in such a way where everybody's just getting really angry. Um, and so I started thinking about, what are we called to? Of course, we're called to preach truth, but is there a way we should try to say it? Um, and I think that in the end, um, even though truth is truth, that the way that you're supposed to preach it or, or proclaim it is supposed to be in a loving way. So there's a way to tell people um, the gospel even though, yes, it's offensive, but to do it in a way that's winsome, to do it in a way that's Christ-like, um, to do it in a way that's, that's not unloving, that drives them further away, um, but do it in a way that, that, that draws them into Christ. Now, today we're going to be looking at 1 John 4. We're going to be in verse 7 through 12, and we're going to be looking at love. Now, here's the deal. Um, these texts here are some of the most kind of treasured passages not just in this entire letter, but even in the entire Bible. Um, you'll still see people in these verses that we're looking at having tattoos on themselves with some of these words because they are, um, they're treasured verses um, in, the, in the words of Scripture. Now, here's the thing. Um, we've been talking about, and I've kind of reviewed this multiple times here, um, about what John is doing in this letter. John is writing, and we know this from 1 John 5.13, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. So his goal in this letter is that you'll have assurance of your salvation. And as he's telling you, I want you to be assured of your salvation, he's given us three tests that we need to be able to know. One is righteousness versus unrighteousness. If we have just pervasive sin in our life, a rebellious spirit, and we're going to just dive into sin continually as a Christian, well, that's a test that says, well, wait a second. Um, maybe I should have pause. Maybe I should ask myself, am I truly a Christian or not? So he's unpacked that for righteousness. The next one is love. We need to have true love for our brothers and sisters in Christ, and not just brothers and sisters in Christ, but those outside of what we would call the church. We need to have a true love for people. So that's a second test. If we don't see a life and a pattern of love, real growing and deep love, affections for other people, well, that should give us pause and say, well, wait, maybe, I'm not, maybe I'm not in the faith. And then the third one is truth. That there are certain true things that we need to know about Jesus. And we talked about some of these last week. Um, and what are these true things that we need to know? 
All right, so what he's done here is he's, he's given us those things in the first half of the book until we got to basically chapter 3. And then the second half from chapter, uh, some of chapter 3, and as we've gone into chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, he's done those three tests again. But the second time he did it, he drew a dichotomy. The first time it was just righteousness, then, and then love, and then um, truth. And the next time he did righteousness versus unrighteousness. Love versus hate. Truth versus error. So he wanted you to see the opposite. Now here's the thing. He, he's basically exhausted the, the thing here. He's, he's told us all three. He's told us both twice. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's returning a third time to love. He's not going to do that with truth, and he's not going to do that with, with righteousness. But he's going to return a third time to love. And so I, I think, since John's writing by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God is truly trying to make sure you get something down. He's wanting to make sure, because all of us, all of us will have trouble with this. All of us will think we're loving people, but in the end, he's wanting us, in in verses 7 through 12 today, and then next week, in verses 13 through 21, wanting us to make sure we understand what it means to be loving people. So he's returning to this a third time. Now, um, every time you see the word love here in verses 7 through 13, I'm sorry, 7 through 12, every time you see it in the Greek, there's a couple Greek words, phileo and agape. Um, and phileo, like Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo is the brotherly love kind of, kind of love. Agape is, is, the, is the divine love or um, unconditional love. Every time you see the word love here in 7 through 12, it's agape. Every time. So when he says God is love, that's, that's unconditional love. But curiously, um, he also says that we should love one another. And he tells you that you are not to phileo other people, that you are to agape other people. So when we're talking about love here, we're not talking about some kind of sensual or familial or any kind of love like that. We're talking about a divine love. Every time you see this, and, and, and as we're going through this, it's very key that you know that when I'm telling you to love other people, I'm telling you to love other people with a divine love, not fall in love with someone. All right, so um, I want to kind of explain where, where the title comes from. We're going to go into eight, and then after we go into eight, we're just going to go all the way through it. So let's look at eight really fast. Um, anyone who does not love does not know God because, here it is, God is love. God is love. Now, as I'm reading through the commentaries this past week, um, most of the commentators, I thought this is just obvious, but most of the commentators are really wanting us to make sure we understand that you can't reverse that. You can't say love is God. Because if you reverse it, you, you walk into all kinds of heresies. To say God is love is to say that love is defined by the character of God. God is God. And if we want to know what love is, we know who God is. And based out of his character, this is one characteristic of who he is, we can understand who lo- what love is. But if it's the reverse, if we say love is God, then we fall into some major problems, meaning that here's God, and there's something greater than him, this thing called love, and God has to look up at, at, at love and obey what it says it is, and that's not it. We don't understand it in the reverse. Love is not God. God is love, and love is a characteristic of God. So if we want to understand love, we need to understand God. All right, so that's, that's key as we're going into this. Um, whenever I was in U.S., at, I went to USC for a little while. Um, I wasn't going to tell a story, but I, I think it's kind of funny. Um, 
I went to USC for a little while, and then God finally called me into ministry. I changed my major like 25 times. Um, it wasn't that many, but it was a lot. And so finally, I knew that I was going to not go into some kind of boring, you know, thing like accounting or something. So I'm going to go into, I'm going to go, I'm just, if you're an accounting major, I'm just kidding. I'm only kidding. I'm just playing. Um, it's actually really interesting. Um, so anyway, I decided to go into ministry. I decided to go into ministry and um, I transferred down to Charleston Southern. But whenever I was, um, man, I'm going to get some for that. Whenever I was, uh, whenever I was at uh, USC, I, I worked for the baseball team. And so we would travel around on the weekends and things like that. So I parked my car at the, uh, at the baseball place and we get in, we, we uh, get in the bus and we leave. And so my car's parked there and all my stuff is in my, is in my car. This is the end of the semester. It's around April or so. Um, getting into end of April, into May. All my school books, I decided, you know, I was going to be a great student and not take any of my books with me that weekend and just concentrate on, you know, having fun with the baseball team. And so I leave all my stuff in my car, all of it. And so I get, we get back. It's really late at night. Um, and I go over to my car and I'm like, oh, I left my window open. Um, there is no window. Oh, someone broke into my car. And so um, I, I, I open it up into the, it's into the school year, right? So someone decided to break into my, my car and steal all my books because they wanted to sell them back for money. And so I'm going into, and this is really bad because I wasn't the best at, at studying at the time. So I'm going into the, the end of the semester with no books and no notebooks. Not that the notebooks were absolutely filled with notes, but there were some in there that I really needed. Um, and so I'm going into my exams and I'm just, I mean, I am, I am done. I'm not going to do very well. And I know this. And so I'm able to get some books back for free, but all my notes were gone. And basically I'm walking into this finals really, really hurting. Now here's the thing. Augustine, he, he's a saint that lived, uh, it just means Christian, that lived about um, 1700 years ago. Just basically the father of, um, of all kind of religious theology and thought that we've had pretty much, he started it all. Um, and he's, he's thinking about this verse, and this is what he says. This is what he says on this, this phrase, God is love. Here it is. If nothing were said in praise of love throughout the pages of this epistle, this, this letter, if nothing whatever throughout the pages of Scripture, and this would be the only thing we were told by the voice of the Spirit of God, God is love, if that's all that we were ever told, nothing more ought we require. He's saying that just knowing God is love is all you need. So you're kind of walking into the final exam. You're not going to be messed up like me. You don't need a whole bunch of stuff. If we can just look into this text and we can get God is love, well, walking into the rest of your life, you are set. I mean, you are, you are ready for life. You are ready for life eternal. You need to just know God is love. And then you're going to understand what it means in your life. All right, so John here is drawing out implications of the gospel in our life. As we're looking at verses 7 through 12, he, if you're a Christian and you've been saved by Christ, you know that he's come and he has rescued you from the dominion of darkness. He's taken your place on the cross and died for you. That gospel's happened. He's drawing out implications for you now. What does it mean to be a believer in Christ? This is what it means. All right, so um, here's the title of today's sermon. This, this is the title. is God perfecting his love in us to love one another. God perfecting his love in us. So God 
desires that we would be loving people and he's perfecting that love in us. Why is he perfecting that love in us? So that now we can go love other people. Look at verse 12. Um, This is where I get the title from. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And here it is. And his love is perfected in us. So the point of this, the point of this text here is that God is perfecting love in you. He's perfecting love in you. And what is that going to look like? What is that going to feel? How's that going to play out? It's going to play out as you now are going to start loving other people with an agape love, with a divine love. So what we're going to look at um, in this title here is God perfecting his love in other people. I'm going to kind of explain some things from these seven, from these um, five or six verses about what that looks like. This is John and, and really my kind of last plea as we're going through this letter that you would be and I would be agape loving people, that we would love other people with a divine love. His last plea for us to say, okay, I, I understand and I'm going to do it now in my life. All right. Um, what does his love is being perfected in us mean? What does it mean whenever we look at this and say, all right, his love is being perfected in us i think that what this means is before before jesus died he was praying in the garden before he was going to be crucified he in john 17 kind of um puts down this prayer that he has and at the end of his prayer this is what he says this is what he says in john 17 verse 26 he says i have made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known and then catch this right here That the love, this is what I believe God perfecting his love in us means. This is what he says. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Can can we just stop for a second and, and, and think about these words? What he just said is, the love with which the Father has for the Son. Think about that. What is the love of the Father for the son. I mean, if you could, we are limited in vocabulary because language in itself is a finite thing. And so we, we cannot even with finite language describe the infinite. But certainly, I mean, we are so limited to even start describing the love of the father for the son. We're talking about God's love, God the father for the son. Try to think on that. Meditate on that for a moment of how vast it would be. The Father's love. Now, I love my son dearly. And I can't even come close to loving my son the way God the Father loves God the Son. Think on that for a second about how big it is. Now, now think about what he's saying. That the love with which you have loved me. Jesus saying, God, the love, the Father, that you, the love that which you have loved me may be in them. Can you meditate on that for a second? The love of the Father for the Son. Jesus is asking God, I want that kind of love to be in them for one another. That's unbelievable. I mean, that's unbelievable. That that's what he wants. And so that's what I think his love being perfected in us is. Is that the love of the Father for the Son, is being put into us and it's being perfected. It's being cultivated and made so that we can really start loving other people. Now, how is that possible? How, how is that possible? 
His name's the Holy Spirit. That's how it's possible. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to that when we get to verse 12. All right, so there's some things you need to see when we're talking about God perfecting His love in us and how that's going to happen so now that we can love each other. There's some things you need to know about how this is, how this is going to happen, how this can happen in your life. Look at 7. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. I'm going to read the whole thing. From love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another... God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. All right, look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I want to key in on born of God. This is, this is really important. Flip over with me, if you would, to John, the book of John, his gospel, chapter 1. Chapter 1. Look at verses 12 and 13. We're going to understand what this, this born of God means. We're going to understand what it means. Look at 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So if you believe in Jesus, then God has given you the right to become a child of God. And look what it says. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the nor of, will of man, the will of man, but of God. So there's, this, this is the second birth. Flip over one page to me and we'll get a little bit more understanding in John 3. Um, there's a man named Nicodemus and he came to Jesus and he wanted to understand, how can I, how can I understand, how can I be um, a Christian? Look what he says. Now there was a man in the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Truly Jesus, uh, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless, here it is, one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Nicodemus is like, born again? I'm supposed to like re-enter into my mother's womb and be born again? That sounds crazy. And he's like, I'm not talking about a physical birth. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. I'm talking about being born again. I'm talking about being born of God. I'm talking about the new birth in Christ. All right, so back over to 1 John. Let's read it. Understanding that born of God again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves, whoever loves has been born of God. So if you want to have God's love perfected in you, so that now you can love other people, the new birth is absolutely essential. You must be born of God for this to happen. So here's the first thing. We must experience the new birth first for this to happen. And the this is the title. We must experience the new birth first for God to be able to perfect His love in us so that we can start loving one another. The new birth must happen. The new birth has a theological term and it's called regeneration. It's 
called regeneration. And this word regeneration simply means that at one moment, you and I both were walking around completely spiritually blind to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that He would come and take our place on the cross for us, that all the wrath of God was going to be crushing down on us, and that Jesus stepped in the way for that, and He absorbed all of the wrath of God, which we'll get to that in verse 10 in a second, and that He took our place. And when we finally look on to the cross, when we look on to the gospel, we see that that news, that good news is unbelievable. That is the most beautiful reality in the world. When you're able to see that, it's because God has regenerated you. He has opened your spiritual eyes. And He's regenerated you. And when regeneration happens, faith happens. You put your faith in Christ. And you believe and you trust Him. So unless you have been regenerated, then you will not be able to have God's love perfected in you. Simple application Trust in Christ. Pray for this. Ask this to happen in your life. This is a quote. It says, um, Love for others completes the picture of a life and fellowship with God. Without it, your fellowship with God is incomplete. Now, here's the, here's the question. There's a follow-up question I, I would have automatically. Does this mean that unbelievers are not able to love? Is that what you're saying? All right. This means, this does not mean that unbelievers are incapable of love. This means that they're not able to love in the same way that God's indwelling presence in us as Christians enables us to love one another. It's just different. They are not going to be able to love one another with a divine love. And what we want to, and what I'm shooting for in your life is that you would want to love other people with this this God-perfecting love in you to start loving other people. And there's a reason. There's a reason which we'll get to. What's the benefit of being born again? What's the benefit? <laughs> Among many, look at the very end of verse 7. Whoever loves has been born of God, look at those last three words, and knows God. As someone who that has been regenerated, born of God, now a believer. You and I are invited into this unbelievable privilege of knowing God. We get to know Him who knew us before we existed. We get to know Him who knit us together in our mother's womb. We get to know Him who is the, the creator of everything, the reality of goodness, the one who died for us in our place. We get to know the most precious reality in the world. Now, that may not sound appealing to you if you don't know Jesus. If you are still walking in your sin and you are feeling the weight of it, if all you feel is down, if all you feel is depressed, if all you feel is a need to have this weight off of you, and you put your faith in Christ, and you get to now enjoy the presence of the one who took your place, you know what I'm talking about. You get to know God. That's the benefit. It's an unbelievable thing. 
This isn't some kind of boring thing where the big dictator makes you throw away all the things you hate and you have to fall in line and be the, you know, the, the cookie cutter Christian and that kind of stuff. It's not, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a relationship, a deep lasting relationship with the person that created you and loves you more than you could ever love, be loved by someone or love another person. You're invited into that person who died for you. The benefit of being re- regenerated among many is that you get to know God. Continuing in verse 7. So the first thing here, the first thing about God perfecting His love in us so that we can start loving other people is that you must be born again. You must have the new birth to happen in your life in order to be able to do that. Look at verse 7 some more. There's some other things I want you to see. Beloved, let us love one another. Here it is. For love is from God. Love, your ability to love other people, is not something you conjure up in your own heart. It's not something you just kind of, I'm going to work myself up and start willing to love. That's not what happens. Your ability to start loving other people is a gift from God to you to start doing to other people. It comes from God. Second thing. Second thing you need to know about God's love being perfected in you so you can love other people. It's not some kind of self-started kind of thing. Number two, our ability to love others comes from God. Now, I've, I've said this many times as we're going through First John, but this is not something that can be said like a couple times and you got it down. This is something that you need to hear continually and continually and continually because you'll boast. You'll think that you got it down. You'll think that, oh, I'm such a loving person. No, no, none of us are loving people. The only way you're going to be loving is from God. Whenever I was, why is it important to not to know this and not take it for granted? Um, another story, whenever I was at USC, um, this was just ridiculously cruel, but kind of cool. Um, there was there, one of the things they wanted to do is kind of haze the freshmen that were baseball players. And so um, one of the baseball players, he wanted to build up his arm. So he had a, a, a bucket, like a 10 gallon, I don't know, five gallon, whatever those size those things are, uh, f- filled almost to the very top of rice, like n- not cooked rice, clearly, but uncooked rice. And he would, he would shove his hand down in there and kind of turn and pull it out. And basically, I don't know what he's doing. He's building up his forehand, forearm or what forehand, his forearm or something like that. And so in his room, he just would do this all the time. I mean, can you just imagine if that thing accidentally spilt over? How difficult it would be. So what they did is they, they had, you know, the, the rooms were set up were two bedrooms and a living room. So whenever the freshman wasn't in there, some of the upperclassmen took this, this thing of rice and put it in there in his room. And then they just started grabbing and throwing just, just everywhere in this. Now, don't do this. Like if you, if you have people you don't like, I would not recommend this. Um, but they said, man, for like months, we kept finding rice. We'd find it in our, in our, in our drawers, we'd find it in our pillows, we'd find it in our shoes. We were finding rice everywhere for months and months. It was the meanest thing. Like, I can't believe y'all would do that to us because all we did was find rice. Now, here's the thing. Um, just like the rice would be so pervasive all throughout the room if that happened, you need to understand that, that our nature outside of Jesus is so corrupt that our, our, our hatred of others is just pervades everything. Unless we understand that the only way we're going to love people is that God would come in us and give us the ability to love, we're going to be just like this. Our nature is so corrupt, we will never be loving unless He comes and does the work in us. Just like that rice is everywhere in the room, our, our, natural, our natural propensity towards not love but hate is like that. It's everywhere in us. 
And we need it to be worked out. And the only way it can happen is if that God, an outside thing, comes into us and causes us and teaches us to love. It's pervasive in us. It's pervasive in us, our inability to love. But we need to love other people. Now, there's a warning. There's a warning in verse 8. If we don't see love in our lives as Christians. Look what he says in this warning. Anyone who does not love, does not know God. Why would he say that? It's because just like the rice would go everywhere, that's our, that's our corrupt nature. And if that's not being renewed, if that's not being changed, then the truth is that we're not being changed and we don't know Jesus. We lack love, we don't know God. That's just the truth of verse 8. So as we're thinking about assurance, we should be asking ourselves, anyone who does not love, does not know God, do I not love? Is there a pattern in my life where I don't see love or is it just a pervasive corrupt, corruption inside of me where I'm not loving anybody? Um, let me read a quote to you. Uh, if you're in the ESV study Bible, you'll, you'll probably be able to see it right here. This is what it says, basically. It says, The person who lacks love shows himself to be unchanged at the core of his being by the gospel message. The person who lacks love shows himself to be unchanged at the core of his being by the gospel message. Now, here's one of the most important questions. All right, I'm I'm, I'm begging you to be loving. The question you should be asking me is, why? Why do I need to be loving? Why should I be loving? What's the point? All right, I'm loving. Once I'm loving, what am I doing with that love? You should be on mission once you're loving. Let me read this, this quote to you. This is from John Piper. He says, The Father's delight in the glory of the Son was an infinite delight, yet He was willing to send the Son to be rejected and mocked and tortured and killed in order to bring life to the world. Can we say then that we delight in the Son with the very delight of the Father if we live at odds with the mission of the Son? What was the mission of the Son? The mission of the Son was to come and save sinners. If God is perfecting His love in us, and giving us the love that the Father has for the Son, and we're not on mission, then he's saying we're living at odds. If God's love is being perfected in us for the, for the Son, the Father's love is being perfected in us, then that's supposed to be creating within us a desire to be on mission. We're living at odds with the mission of the Son. That is, if we don't pour out our lives to bring life to the world. If we're not bringing life to the world, then maybe we're not having the love of the Father perfected in us. Now, this is a little bit off topic, but down the mission trail, I want to read a quote to you, and it was just shown to me yesterday, but I think it's awesome. Whenever we're talking about the mission, whenever we're talking about engaging others in a conversation to see them get converted to Christ, let me just read this, because it's not just throwing a bunch of knowledge at them, which if... If I'm guessing, we're more likely at that side. Um, you know, the other side is we just try to, you know, emotionally, like, convince them and try to play on their emotions. But I think that we're going to fall more on the side of, of just, they just need a bunch of knowledge. Listen to this. A sinner has a heart as well as a head. A sinner has emotions as well as thoughts. We must appeal to both. A sinner will never be converted unless his emotions are stirred. Unless he feels sorrow for sin, unless he has some measure of joy in the reception of the word, that's when he receives or hears the gospel, you cannot have much hope of him. 
The word must be like a strong wind sweeping through the whole heart and swaying the whole man, even as a field of ripening corn waves in the summer breeze. Religion without emotion is religion without life. So as we're trying to tell them about Christ and as we're trying to be on mission and convince them, we don't want to just throw a bunch of doctrine at them. We want to, as we tell them the doctrine, engage their emotions They need to know why this is important. They need to feel the weight of sin and sorrow, but they also need to see the unbelievable joy of knowing Jesus. Here's where your emotions are key. I think you need, and I need to, feel these things. We need to feel these things. So, our ability to love others comes from God. Now, Let's go to verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us so that God, that God sent His only Son to live in the world so that we might live through Him. Notice the order. Notice the order. There's a, there's a demonstration or there's a manifestation. There's a seeing or a showing of something, namely Jesus. And when that happens, now we have life. Look at it again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might have life through Him. Jesus was given so that we might have life. Here's the third thing about God perfecting His love in us. If God's perfecting His love in us so that we can love other people, here's the third thing. God's perfecting love was shown to us, there's the gospel, so that we might live through Him. His His. His manifestation of Christ to us is not just an end. It was to save us, and but there's something more that's supposed to happen. It's now that He's supposed to live through us. That, that we might live through Him. So, what I want to do here is this. Um, let's look at verse 10 as well. And notice verse 10 is just kind of a restatement of the beginning of verse 9. L- look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And here's the scent, the made manifest, the showing. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. So we want to know what love is. All right, in, a world, in, um, in a world where love is thought of as kind of bouncing around from relationship to relationship, trying to find what love is. In, in a time where we're just in a hooking up culture, trying to find out and figure out what's love. Am I going to... Am I going to find it with that person? Am I going to find it with that career? I'm going to find it with this kind of object or money or or iPod or whatever. What is love? I'm looking for it. God has finally defined us, defined for us what love is. So here is love finally defined for us. And notice that it starts and is about God. Look what it says here. Love is, it is not that we have loved God. I mean, that's easy um, because he's so good to us. Like, if God has come and saved us from hell, then clearly it's easy to love someone that does that. If you are about to get run over by a car and someone grabs you and pulls you out of the way, you're not going to say, get away from me, I hate you. You're going to, say, you're going to feel some affection of thank you. Like, I appreciate that. Um, and if someone has saved you from eternal condemnation, eternal death, well, then there's going to be some real emotions of feeling of love for them. That's easy. But... Let's understand love a little bit better. Look what he says. Love is not that we love God. 
That's easy because he's so good to us. But that he loved us and sent his son. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love for us, or he shows us his love while we were still sinners. So we were enemies, as, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 says, um, following the prince of the power of the air, basically following Satan. We were enemies of God. We were serving his, his greatest foe, wanting to be on the team of, you know, of evil. We're, we're serving him, and that God said, while you're on the team of evil, I'm going to come die for you and rescue you. That is love. That's love being defined for us. So as we're kind of running around society trying to figure out what love is, let's take a pause and look at the scriptures and see what love is. Love is God coming in the form of his son and dying for us. So God's perfecting love was shown to us. It was shown to us. And let's look at how it was shown to us in verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, we've kind of talked about this. He said the same word. It's Greek word helosmos. He said it in, in chapter 2, verse 2, when he talks about the propitiation. Let me just kind of give you a quick little definition of what it is. Um, this is, it's not man trying to do something to appease God. That's not what a propitiation. It's not man trying to do something to appease God or placate his anger. But it is God um, doing something that makes it possible for man to be forgiven. It's God appeasing his own anger by giving us Jesus and Jesus dying for us. So it's not, we're not doing it. It's God appeasing himself by putting forward his son. God bears the wrath of God. The son bears the wrath of the Father for us. And that's what love is. That's what this propitiation, and that's what the gospel is, is that if you don't know Christ, if you're feeling the weight of sin, if you are desperately, if someone brought you here and you, you know that you're not a Christian and that you know you need forgiveness and you, you know that you want to start experiencing what I'm saying, this relationship that is unbelievable that you get to know God, put your faith in Christ. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only way to the, one way to the Father, and that's through Christ. And if you put your faith in Christ, then all the wrath has been born for you on the Son. And now you can cross over, as Colossians 1 says, from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son. You are now a child of God, and you can start walking in this. Have His love perfected in you. So, here's the second part, though. In verse 9, it says that he made a manifestation to us in his son so that we might live through him. So there's a point of it. It's so that we might have life, so that we might live through him. Now, there's, there's two ways to think about this life. All right, there's two ways. There's the today and there's the eternal. There's the today and there's the eternal. I'm going to show you a couple verses on that. What does it mean? What does it look like for us to be able to have life? The first one is the today, the Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, but it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live, the life I now live by, in the Son of God, oh, I messed it up. Uh, in the life I now live in the flesh, there it is, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So now that I'm a Christian, 
I have died and Jesus lives in me. He's, he's, he's come. He's been shown to me that I might be able to live now through him. What does that mean for me? I die. I'm dead and Jesus lives through me. So the life now, the first way is here now. I'm getting life here on earth for the rest of my life. And that looks like I die, Jesus lives. But then there's also this other way that now we get to live and it's life eternal. Let me read John 5, 24 to you. John 5, 24 talks about this eternal life that we get. So we get life now. We get to experience what it means to be filled with abundant life here. But then we also get to experience eternal life. In John 5, 24, it says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. That's the, that's the great white throne judgment. That's the final judgment. He does not come into judgment. Romans 8, 1 is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for, the, for you if you're in, in Christ Jesus. But he has passed from death to life. So in two senses, we get to have life. We get to have life here, now, life to the full, life abundant, which means we need to die and Jesus lives in us here and now. And we have his love perfected in us so that we can start divinely loving other people. And then there's also the second way, which is we get eternal life. Life in heaven forever with Jesus, the Savior of our soul. So here's some, here's some application questions for us as we're thinking about that truth of the gospel and what love should look in our life. Here's some application. Could any of us look at all this and say, um, I believe all that, but I'm not really going to love God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength. How can we contemplate all of these things that have been told to us in the gospel and not be utterly broken down with love for God? How can hatred, any remaining hatred, be in us for other people? How can we do anything but love one another as we, as we start contemplating such amazing love for us? We should continue looking and admiring at Christ in the gospel. And as we're doing that, we should start contemplating until our heart becomes broken and we feel the love of Christ for us and start having it for other people. As one hymn writer says, Love so amazing so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. The love of God in us demands everything in us. Now here's the last thing, the fourth one. And this is, I mean, this is literally life-changing for you. I think if all of us can get this down, it should open our eyes to some kind of reality because right now I'm thinking, just like you're thinking, well, I just don't have the capacities to do this. If I look over my course of life, I've been a Christian for X amount of years, or maybe you're not a Christian, but if you've been a Christian, you're thinking, I, I don't think I have this happening in my life. I don't understand why. Look at this in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Fourth one, God, God loving us awakens us to know how to truly love one another. Okay, that all sounds great. <laughs> all right, yeah, I understand that. And now I'm supposed to love other people. And my heart's been awakened because I've been regenerated and I have the Holy Spirit inside of me and He's the one that loves through me. Okay, I got it. It's not really me loving, it's Jesus or, or the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit loving in me. I got it. But I look at my life and I'm still not doing it. I think that we can need to understand this by understanding the word ought. Look what it says. Beloved, if God so loved we ought 
to love one another. One another. This word ought doesn't mean like you're thinking to yourself, oh, I'm gaining some weight. I ought to start eating better and ought to start exercising. But I'm probably not going to. I mean, that's not the ought that we're talking about. That is, that is not at all. Listen to this. Um, this is John Piper. He says, so when John says we ought to love one another, he means the ought the way that fish ought to swim. He means the ought in that birds ought to fly um, in the air and living creatures ought to breathe and peaches ought to be sweet and lemons ought to be sour and hyenas ought to laugh and born-again people ought to love. It is who we are. This is not mere imitation. For the children of God, imitation becomes realization. We are realizing who we are when we love. So you ought to love. Really love because this is who you are now. The way a fish will swim, Christians will love. That's just who you are now. So don't think of it as I'm trying to grasp it. I'm trying to ascertain it. I just can't get my hands on this this loving thing. It's who you are now. You just do it. And know all along that it's God doing it through you. So I think this is unbelievably key. This ought to shape us all. Christian, you ought to love. Because it's who you are now. It's who you are now. Now, we're gonna, John concludes this idea in 12, and I'm going to conclude here. And This is kind of strange. Because... All he's doing is talking about love. Love, 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 love. And look at the first, first few words of, of uh, verse 12. By the way, you should know this. No one's ever seen God. What does that have to do with love? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're talking about love to me, and then you say, oh, no one's ever seen God. And then we're going to go back and talk to love where he said, um, and if we love one another, God, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. But by the way, just want to let you know, no one's ever seen God. Just throw that in there for, for free. Why, why is he saying that? He's not just kind of by the power of the Holy Spirit and having like a, he woke up in the middle of the night and half the Holy Spirit's in him and he kind of, oh yeah, I'm going to write that down. And wakes up at his sleep and he's like, well, I guess Jesus said to say, you know, no one's ever seen God. It's not like he kind of woke up in the middle of the night and wrote that down. That's there for a reason. Like, we need to know why he tells us no one's ever seen God. Let's look at this. And it's key. It's in the verse. It's right there in the verse. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another... Look at this next phrase. God abides in us. God abides in us. No one's ever seen God, okay? They've seen glimpses of it. They've seen pictures of His glory, but no one's ever seen God in His fullness. If you said, I want to see God in His fullness, I can't believe until I see God in His fullness, then um, it's like saying, I don't believe in the sun until I stand on it. When you stand on the sun, you won't have the chance to believe. You'll be dead. So none of us will have the opportunity to say, and until I see him in his fullness, you'll die. Like you'll just die. So yeah, no one's ever seen God. But look at this. If we love one another, God abides in us. So what's he trying to say when he says no one's ever seen God? Perhaps, and I think this is what he's saying, is that people can see God because God abides in us. If we love one another, we are the arms and hands and feet of them 
the people that are not in Christ or people that are in Christ to be able to see God. The reason why he tells you no one's ever seen God is because they're supposed to see God in you as you love other people. That's why God's in his infinite wisdom is giving us the opportunity to join into the story and let them see God through our lives. That is amazing, amazing gift that he would give us. Of course he could just let people see him. Of course he could. But he wants to give people the opportunity to see him by getting to see him through you loving other people. You and I get to join into this magnificent story of Jesus and let them see Jesus through our lives. So I wonder how many people in your life that you are the only chance for them to see God. Friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, whatever. You could be the only chance for them to see, see God. No one's ever seen Him. But if you love one another, God abides in you. And His love is perfected in us. What does it look like for you to love your brother and sister. I mean, really, what does it really look like for you? What would need to change? What would need to kind of be gotten rid of in a selfish way? Who, who is your brother and sister? Who are you loving or not loving? Do you feel any love within you towards that person you naturally dislike? Do you feel any love towards that person you naturally dislike. That person that is so irritating, it can be, um, in certain respects, so hurtful to you. They're so irritating to you. Do you feel any natural love towards them? Do you feel any God-given love, I should say, towards them? Do you know a sense of compassion and pity on other people? You're their chance for them to see God. See Because if you love one another, God abides in you, the Holy Spirit abides in you, and they are going to see God by you. Do you pray for that person? Can you truly say that you're sorry? That's what love does. Do you feel with regard to these people? If you're born of God, If you have experienced the new birth, regeneration in your life, you must feel and act in loving ways. So, as born-again people of God, as born-again people of God, let me just encourage us all that we have got to be loving people. Remedy Church has got to be known. Christians have got to be known as loving people. If they, if they laugh at us when we're loving, so be it. If they reject us, if they push us away, so be it. That's what Christ wants us. That's what God the Holy Spirit implanted into us is telling us that we have to be loving towards other people on mission to see the salvation of souls. It matters not what they, how they treat us. If they treated our master in such a despicable way, how would you expect they're going to treat us? When we act like this, that's when we can say 
not in a boastful way, not in a way that lifts us up, but only in a way that lifts up the name of Jesus. Here is love. Why? Why would we not stop? Why would we say, no matter what, we're going to continue pushing the envelope. We're going to continue pushing out to the darkness and trying to shine the light of love of Christ into their lives. Why would we do that? Why would we keep pushing? When people push us and reject us and we feel hurt and we feel shamed, why would we keep going towards that, wanting to feel or experience what could be some form of suffering, persecution in our lives? Why would we do that? Because God the Father's love for the Son The Holy Spirit has been put into us. We have the love of the Father for the Son in us now. And so with God's help and with God's love and with God's light, we're pushing into the darkness, not our own strength, but with His love. And we're shining them the light of Christ so that unbelievers, people who are walking down the path of hell and destruction eternally, can be converted. And if you don't feel here, if you don't care here, that's what this letter is all about. John, 1 John 5.13, I'm writing this thing so that you may know you have eternal life. And I love you dearly. And that is why I would say, if you have nothing in you, verse 9, perhaps you don't know Him. But don't despair. Because He's calling you. He's saying, come now, join in, be forgiven, put your faith in Christ, start living with his love being perfected in you, the ability to divinely start loving other people. And the best news is the gospel, that you can receive forgiveness of all of your sin. All of it is gone. All of it was put on Christ. All the punishment and all the righteousness that he had as he lived a perfect life is given to you. What I want to do is this. I'm going to pray. And we're going to go into a time of worship. And we're going to actually apply this in the service after a couple songs of worship. And I'll come up and explain that. But I'm going to pray right now. And during these first couple songs, if you know that you're not in a relationship with Christ, or you know that if you are, you're just a baby and have nothing as far as love for one another, love for other people, and you know you have a lot of work, don't despair there. I mean, that's not, that's not a bad spot. If you're finally aware of that, it's not like you're just like, oh, I stink at life and everything. That's, that's God's graciousness, as Romans 2. His, his kindness is leading you to repentance. When you feel those things, it's not like, oh, I stink. It's, I need Jesus more in my life now. I'll be down here. And I just want to say, during these songs, if you want to talk, you want to pray, you want anything, please come talk to me. I'll be here after the service as well. We'll have people down front that can pray with you after the service. But don't delay. Don't put this off. Be obedient to how the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm going to pray and then we'll go into a time of a couple songs of worship and I'll come up and talk about our, our application of this sermon in the service. Let's pray.
God, within me, I just confess I, I'm not a loving person. I, I am not at all. My sin is pervasive. My discord or dislike or hatred of others will always take over without the power of your spirit working a miracle in my life. And God, I'm just so thankful for Christ that you have given me the ability to divinely love other people and share the gospel and have a heart for others so that they may be saved and they may be cared for and they may be helped in life. And I pray for us all right now, God, where we have times where we're not walking with you, we're not plugging into life life being Christ, that you would help us. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus this morning, they're, they're hearing these words and they say, you know what, I thought I'd, I knew Christ, but I don't, I don't think I do. I think I just signed a card one day so I was, I was scared of hell and didn't want to go there. But I don't have any kind of change in my life. I pray, Lord, that, that they would repent this morning, that they would pray with me, they would have conversation with me or whoever. Lord, that you would give them a desire to do that. I, I pray, God, that if, if there's people here that are believers and they just know they're, they have a season of really not walking with you at all, that you would change their life, that you would change their mind, that you would help them understand and see that they can have life eternal with you right now. They can start walking with you even in this life. That they need to die, as Galatians 2.20 says, and start living with you. God, I pray for my, my brother or sister and friend here who might not even know you at all, and they know they don't know you. That you would regenerate their hearts right now and produce faith in their life so that they would become a Christian and know life now and life eternal with Christ. Holy Spirit, I know you're leading and guiding people's hearts right now. And I pray that you would make them obedient. It's a, it's a strong prayer and I know, God, <laughs> but I know you can do it. Make us obedient. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.